We're going to be in Mark chapter 12, so if you would turn there in your Bibles. Our uh, two students in Israel left last Monday, and, you know, I'll tell you, there's a lot of of negative things about technology today, social media and stuff like that, I think can really be a negative in a lot of ways. It can be used in a negative way, but it is amazing to me that we can text in real time with someone in Israel and uh, have a con- carry on a conversation like that. It's just amazing. They will be heading toward Jerusalem uh, this week, I think today. So, yeah, they're 10 hours difference from us. So anyway, early this week, they're going to Jerusalem for a few weeks, and uh, they'll be just going around, seeing different sites. Their first particular teaching or study, you know, program is on Joshua. And so um, that's exciting. But they're having a good time thus far. Someone tweaked all this up here. Um, And so keep them in prayer, though. Uh, You know, they're staying in the Golan Heights, and then they're going out from there to different locations. They're going to be camping at the Sea of Galilee and just going to all the different places. It's just wonderful. And it's a small team this year. Uh, I think there's 10 students. And two of them are married. So there's one couple. And then you have, I think, the four boys. And then the rest are uh, young women. So keep them in prayer. David and Chelsea. um, Many of you know that they're with child, their third and uh, they found out last week that the baby's going to be a girl, and so they're rejoicing in that, you know, three girls. Um, I always tell men that have only girls, I say, God has chosen you, because, um, because it is a task to, you know, be a father to just girls, and so they're very excited about the addition to their family. Last week, they found out that it appears that there is a cyst on the brain of the baby. And so obviously their concern and their prayer is that the Lord would bring healing to the baby. Um, Some more tests are being run. And so would you please keep them in prayer? Uh, I talked to David early last week, and then, um, you know, we want to respect people's privacy. And so, uh, and then he let other folks know. And I asked him for permission to, to lift this up before you all today. So would you join me in prayer as we pray for David and Chelsea? Father, we pray for this couple. We love them. We care for them. And more importantly, Lord, you love them and you care for them. And we pray for this little one yet to be born, Lord. We pray that whatever's going on in her body, on her brain or in her head, whatever's going on, Lord, you know. Nothing is a surprise to you. And we pray, Father, our simple prayer is that you would bring healing to her body. We we pray, Lord, thy will be done. And of course, we want to insert our will, but we know that your will is the best. We pray, Father, that you would comfort Chelsea right now as she's carrying that little baby and and just the thoughts that are running through her mind. And we pray for David, Lord, as, you know, fearful thoughts enter his mind. Lord, we ask 
as your children, that your peace would rest upon them. I, I, I would imagine that right now they're at home and they're probably watching live online and just pray, Lord, that even now as we're praying for them, that their hearts would be filled with that peace that surpasses understanding. We ask this in Jesus' name. And Lord, we also pray as well, always do that you would give us ears to hear what your word, what you have to say through your word. We pray that you would teach us. We ask for life application, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you guys see where we're heading, chapter 13. We're going to be looking at Mark's, you know, uh, version, if you will, of the Olivet Discourse. And so we're going to be looking at eschatology, you know, Bible prophecy things. So that's going to be exciting. But before we get there, I'd like it if you would drop back, even though we finished with this last week, I want to go back and look at it again in chapter 12 in verse 38. It says, then he, that's Jesus, said to them in his teaching, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces and best seats in the synagogue and the best places at feasts who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, make long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. You know, guys, it's clear as you go through the gospel accounts that Jesus was extremely patient and long-suffering with people, wasn't he? I mean, he really was. He was extremely long-suffering, patient. Uh, You know, it, it didn't seem like he got irritated by people. But on the other hand, It seemed like the Lord was always irritated by the religious leaders. I mean, more times than not. And you got to wonder, why? Why would that be the case? And I suggest to you it's because he expected more from them. And And I say to you that he expects more from spiritual leaders today than many of them, many of us understand. And I would say to you that God expects more from believers than many of us want to accept I'll tell you, there's no expectation for the non-believer because the non-believer does not have the spirit of God, does not have the word of God, is not born again, is not regenerated. I mean, you know, how can you expect someone who's spiritually dead to act a certain way? But for the person who's born again, they have the spirit of God. They're hopefully reading and studying and applying the word of God to their lives. You know, there's a greater expectation. Remember, James tells us, let not many of you become teachers. And then he goes on to say, because there'll be a stricter judgment, a harsher judgment for those who teach. And the scribes surely would fit into that category. They would have been teachers. They would have been those who, you know, studied the law, studied the scriptures and taught the scriptures. In Mark chapter 23, I'll just read. You could turn there if you'd like. Mark chapter 23. I'm sorry, not Mark. Matthew chapter 23, sorry about that. In Matthew chapter 23, and in verse uh, 2, we read Jesus saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, therefore whatever they tell you to observe, that observe. And, but look what he says, and, and do But do not do according to their works, 
for they say and do not do. You drop down from there. Look at verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. He goes on. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses. So he repeats that statement here. Um, And for a pretense, make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. He goes on. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. So Jesus had some harsh things to say to the scribes and the Pharisees. Now you might be saying, well, Dan, we looked at this last week. Why are, we, why are we going back to this? Is this really that important? I want to point out some of the characteristics that the scribes had, according to Jesus. He mentions their long robes. Obviously, the scribes were those who were men of leisure, who watched while others worked. And he tells us that they loved greetings. The scribes were those who longed for recognition from others. And the best seats, the the scribes demanded the benefits of status and privilege. The scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they, they wanted to be seen by others as holy men, and yet... And yet Jesus tells us that they devour widows' houses. Now, that doesn't sound like something that a righteous man, a holy man, would do, devouring widows' houses. The word devoured, it literally means to eat up by forcible assumption to exploit, to prey on. So you kind of get a picture here of what was happening. They would go in, there would be a widow, she's in need, and maybe they would offer to help And rather than help, they took from her. They devoured whatever livelihood she might have had. The scribes were takers. According to Jesus, they weren't givers. They might have pretended to be givers, but they were takers. And by contrast, and I think that the scripture many times as we look at the scripture, contrast is important. By contrast, I think of Jesus. Jesus Well, he gave, he was always giving, right? And he gave his only life, or his life, laid his life down for others. He gave his life as a ransom. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friend. Jesus tells us that for pretense or for appearance sake, they make long prayers. For the scribe, it was all about projecting an image of piety, but it wasn't real. So the first bit of life application that I would draw from this is that uh, we need to be careful because if they did it, we could do it. If we're not careful, if, if our walk with the Lord, if it's not genuine, if it's not real, if it's not sincere, we could just project an image that we want others to see, you know. But of course, the Lord sees and the Lord knows. Now we go down to the next text, and this is actually our text for today, verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants or a lepta. So 
He called his disciples to himself and he said, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her, her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Now guys, I, I just mentioned a contrast between the scribes and Jesus But we have another contrast here. Guys, listen. Scripture is important. It's not just the written word, but where the written word is placed in its context. Now, we have Luke's account of the same thing. Luke puts it in the same place. The the, the widow's mites, you know, the giving of the mites. She's placed right after Jesus warns about the scribes. So you got to wonder, okay, Holy Spirit directed, led, moved upon Luke to write, to record what he was recording, moved upon Mark to write and to record what he was recording, to insert, you know, the, uh, the account in the particular context. You say, well, it might have it probably just happened. Well, it could have just happened, but there's no indication because it seems like Jesus, as he was warning about the scribes, maybe he was on his way to the temple or, or, or maybe... Maybe he was in a different location, but obviously when he was watching the widow put her, her money, her mites, I think is the old King James word, but these two lipta, these two copper coins, as she was putting these into the treasury there at the temple, they were obviously at the temple, and Jesus was watching. And so we have a contrast. We have a contrast between the scribes and the widow, and the contrast is obvious. She was a poor widow. The word poor, it speaks of a beggar, one who is destitute. Now, at the first service, I, I told the folks, I said, I need to give some clarity to this because I think that we've become a little jaded in our culture. You look at our little town, any little town, Anacortes, you know, you could go down to any small little town or city, and surely the big cities, you know. You, have you been down to Seattle lately? Boy, it's unbelievable how many tents and, and all are just, uh, you know, all along the highway there. It's just really, really tragic. But of course, in our little town or any big city, you look and you see all of the homeless people and you'd say, they're poor. Yes, they're poor. But this is where we become a bit cynical because we say, but why are they poor? And we look and we say, well, many of them are either mentally ill or Addicted to drugs and or alcohol, or both, usually both. I don't think you have a preference, you know. And so you say, well, what came first, the mental health or the addiction? Is the mental health due to the addiction? I think in most cases that's true. My point is is that when we think of poor people today, that's what usually comes to mind. And there's kind of that thinking in our mind, well, in one sense, they deserve what they're getting. They, they've done it to themselves, you know. They, they're, they're putting the junk into their bodies and they're losing their minds and now they're on the streets. They can't keep a job. They can't keep a home, you know, or anything like that. But we need to understand, guys, that this was not the case. This, this, this widow was not addicted to meth. She was a widow. She was destitute. She was in need. She was living day by day, perhaps meal by meal. 
I mean, you get the impression that that was her case. She gives her livelihood. I mean, if that's all she had, and she gives her livelihood on that particular day, on that particular occasion. I was telling the first service that, uh, you know, times have changed. When my father was a boy, uh, he told me that growing up in Indiana, they lived in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and they lived their house, the family house, still in the family, um, was right by a river. I don't know what river it was, but we would go there when I was a kid. We would visit, and we would walk along the river, you know, the shore of the river there. And and my father would say when he was a boy, it wasn't uncommon to have hobos, um, out here in the woods and they would you know get a can of beans and open it up with a knife and they'd make a little fire and they would you know just hard on their luck you know and it was kind of the great depression and a lot of people were out of work and it was just a difficult time it wasn't like they were addicted to drugs or alcohol they had just fallen on hard times and he said that it wasn't uncommon because of where their house was situated right there by the river that there would be times that you would see these men. He said, you never saw women or children, but you'd see the men coming up from the river, and they'd walk by the house, and many times his father or his mother would say to the hobo walking by, hey, come on up, have some, we have some apple pie, and they would, my grandfather was a musician, and so they would, he would take out his banjo or his guitar, and they would sit on the front porch, and they would eat hot apple pie, and just showing hospitality to someone hard on their luck. Are you following what I'm saying? We need to be careful that when we read the scriptures, we're not always trying to shove it into a cultural type of setting. That's where we get ourselves into trouble. She was a widow. She had no one to take care of her. She was obviously struggling. It's interesting. You just look at this, guys, and you say, well, where did Jesus see her? Well, he saw her in the offering line. What was she doing in the offering line? She was putting money into the treasury. What could she possibly have to give? What could she possibly put into the treasury? And the answer is her whole livelihood. That's it. Her whole livelihood. She gave everything, though she had every reason not to give anything at all. And again, the contrast is clear. The contrast between the scribes and the, and the widow. The scribes, they want to take. The widow, she wants to give. Now, I'm going out on a limb here because the scripture does not say this. So I'm, I'm telling you before I even speak the words that I'm going out on a limb. I'm just making an assumption or maybe putting it under the category of a question. What if, what if this woman, what if this widow was one of those widows whose house was devoured by the scribes. It, scripture doesn't tell us that, but it's interesting the context Jesus says, and he tells us something about them. I mean, maybe, maybe the disciples, as they're listening to Jesus, and he says, long robes, and they're just going, yeah, long robes. Greetings, yeah, yeah, they like, to, they like the recognition. Best seats, yeah, yeah, that's who they are. But then when he says, and they devour widows, houses i wonder if that came as a surprise to them i wonder if they thought oh we didn't know that about the scribes see if it was common knowledge why would any widow let a scribe into her house 
they presented themselves as being holy men who care for those in need. But all they're doing is taking, taking, taking. So, you guys might think, I know where you're going, Dan. I know what you're leading up to. Well, hold on, hold on. I think it's intriguing to note that Jesus was watching people give. And then what he says, he's sitting opposite to the treasure and he saw how the people gave. It's not like he was just sitting there waiting for the widow to come by. He's watching how everyone gives. And so we got to picture this because, again, you know, if we try to put it in our cultural setting, we think, okay, temple, we think of people coming in, sitting in wooden pews or, or nice, comfortable chairs. And no, no one went into the temple except the priest. People did not go into the temple. You say, but the Bible says the temple, the temple. It's speaking of the temple courts. The sanctuary of the temple, only priests went in there. And only the priests would go into the, the outer, you know, the, the first part of the temple. And only once a year, the high priest would go beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies. So they weren't inside a building She wasn't dropping the offering into an agape box as we have. She was dropping her coins, and and the others were dropping their coins, their money, into a receptacle that probably made a jingling or jangling sound as they would drop their shekels into it. And so you kind of imagine, you know, the rich people come along. And then she comes along. Tink, tink. You know, it's just, and he's watching, and he's looking, and we might protest and say, it's none of his business. I think it's amazing how we as God's people, I mean, we call ourselves God's people, we call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ, and yet we get so offended if we feel like the Lord is encroaching upon our own privacy. And this is why we need to be people of the word, because as we're people of reading the scriptures as we're people of the word, we see that nothing is private, nothing is off limits, nothing is unseen by the Lord. He sees everything and he knows everything. He knows the thoughts of our mind. He knows the intent of our heart. He knows everything. You guys know this. Psalm 139. Let me read just a little bit of it. David wrote it. He said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You have known my sitting down. So you you know when I sit down, when I rise up, You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And then he asked the question, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? And you should check out the rest of that psalm if you don't know it. Psalm 139. The conclusion is nowhere. You see it all. You know all things. Jesus was watching. Jesus was interested in what people were doing. Do you think Jesus is interested in what people are doing today? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I wonder, you know, I don't know if the Lord's heart gets broken. I don't know that. I'm trying to, you know, use something that humans can identify and attribute it to the Lord. I'm probably wrong in doing that. 
But boy, if the Lord's heart could be broken, I'm sure as he looks around the, the earth today, there's a lot of things that would break his heart. A lot of things. Probably break his heart, maybe not break his heart, maybe infuriates him to see children of our country at least as uh, prey, not with an A, with an E. It's like, uh, you know, we're going to get the kids. No, it's not anything new. I mean, the agenda has changed, but this has been the agenda for a long, long time. And sadly, um, they seem to be winning, taking the minds of our young people. Now they're after their bodies. But Jesus was interested in what he saw. And, and we see from the text that Jesus was pleased by what he saw. And so you're probably thinking, okay, I know where he's going. I've heard sermons like this before. This is one of those money talks. So he's, he's kind of built it up, built it up, built it up. Now, now he's going to talk to us about money and the importance of giving to the church and this type of thing. You know what? I'm not going there. I'm not going there because it's sad that in the church, the money talk has become the main talk. And, and you, you, you just see what's happening in, in many churches and you think, is money the only topic that you speak of, preacher? Is money your only concern? And, and it just seems to be, you know, you have greedy pastors and pulpits who are preaching the word to greedy peepee peepees people (laughs) greedy people in the pulpits see I'm trying to get all the peas in there that's what the problem is and and so it's feeding their flesh you know yes give me yeah it's money 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 makes the world go round I'm not going there I'm disgusted by the manipulation the tactics that preachers use I, I think you know they're fleecing the flock of God and there's no fear of God because one day they're going to stand before the true shepherd the great shepherd the good shepherd and give an account for the way they treated God's people but the main reason I'm not going there is because I don't believe this has anything to do with money it has to do with the heart it has to do with faith I mean Guys, again, be careful. Don't listen to these preachers that make everything, you know, like God is going broke. And if you don't give today, God's not going broke. You know, God will sustain. Listen, God will sustain. We, um, for as a church, we've supported a mission in India for a long, long time, 25 years, maybe longer, I don't know. And, um, and we support uh, pastors from India. And uh, these pastors are ministering, and their congregations are in the slums. And the pastors live among the people that they minister to. That becomes their home. That becomes their dwelling. And they minister to the people. And they have little funds. I mean, you know, 
we pass we support pastors with so little i mean really comparatively speaking um so little and so we could we could support more than one pastor but they're in in little congregations and they would fit probably this many people in a building that probably would take up that back that back corner you could have 50 people just crammed in. And the Lord's not saying, well, you know, you could do so much more if we could build a nice cathedral here. And the, No, 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 no. I don't think the Lord cares about that. He cares about people. He cares about individuals. He cares about their hearts and their, their faith. In fact, before I get back to this, let me just take a, a detour for a moment because we've been trained, guys, to think in terms of happy endings, right? So, so we're, we read the text and we almost imagine, okay, well, there's something left out here. Well, what's left out here? Well, what's left out here is that Jesus saw her drop her two copper coins in the receptacle, you know, the dink, dink, and it falls into the treasury there. I mean, what difference is that going to make? He sees that, and then he goes up to her, and he blesses her, and he fills her pockets with money, and she goes away wealthy. No, that's not what it says. She goes away minus two mites, (laughs) her livelihood. He uses her as an example. There is no necessarily a blessing of wealth because she did this thing. And this is how we've been trained. This is how we're trained to think in modern day Christianity. You know, if I do this, then God will. You know, you hear some of these preachers, they make it sound like it's like a, um, it's a law. It's like the law of gravity. If you do this, God has to do that. Listen, whenever you hear people talk about that, run. Because they don't know the God of the Bible. God doesn't have to do anything. But God takes care of his own. God takes care of his children. And so we can rest assured of that. But I don't believe that this is a... Uh, uh, that this account has to do with money. I believe that this account has to do with faith. I believe that this account has to do with the heart. I believe that this account, context matters, that this account has to do with rendering to God the things that are God's. And this is what I mean by that. The widow's actions, by the widow's actions, what was she saying? I belong to you, Lord. I tried to write it down because I'm an old guy and my memory's so short, you know. But that song we sang, the second song we sang, the chorus, my, to remind me, Muriel, my hope is in you. Is that what it is? My hope is in you. And I wanted to jot that down because I was imagining this widow saying, Lord, my hope is in you. Lord, I trust in you. Lord, I'm trusting in you. For today and tomorrow. Lord, I'm yours. You know, guys, think of that. I'm yours. You talk about complete surrender. I'm yours, Lord. In one sense, it sounds so disrespectful, and I'm, I'm kind of saying it tongue-in-cheek, but, but Lord, I'm your problem. And you don't have any problems, so <laughs> I'm yours, Lord. I'm yours. 
doesn't that seem so irresponsible? I mean, again, we think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I got to work. I got to do my due diligence. Of course. No one's saying we don't do our due diligence. But sometimes we do all we can and we still come up short. Right? And where are, where's our hope? Where's our trust? Where's it placed? The Lord, he sees, he knows. Jesus said that she put in more than them all. Her giving was an expression of her faith in the Lord to take care of her. You know, guys, a gift, a gift's value is determined by the spirit in which it is given. Do you believe that to be true? I believe that to be true. Lord, you know the motives of my heart. Lord, you know the motives of my service. Lord, you know the motive of my worship. Lord, you know, you know, you know, Lord. And Lord, you know why I don't do those things. Now, I want you to, um, I want you to mark this down somewhere, write it down. What is the date today? Okay. That I actually finished my Bible study. (laughs) Now, this is a miracle. There are modern day miracles. Now, in closing, (laughs) it'll spend 15 minutes in closing. No. You know what, guys? There's so much we could glean from the scriptures, aren't there? And I'll tell you, the Lord wants to be our all in all. Are you trusting him? Have you placed your faith in him? I was telling the first service, I said, you know, guys, uh, we, um, so who am I saying we? There are many people here that are concerned we're concerned for the spiritual welfare of the people of this small congregation. We're concerned for our young people. On Wednesday night, I was in the courtyard before study, and um, some of my grandchildren had brought up a album, a photo album that we have here at the church from kind of the early days of the church. And so I was talking to the, my, the kids who were out there. There were young people out there, and, and they were asking about different things. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, I can't even imagine that we used to, you know, meet here in this building, and we didn't have a fence. And I can't even imagine, you know, with the kids running around. The kids could have ran right out into the street. I don't know how we did it back then with that little fence there, but... I said, we didn't have a fence there. And I said, and this wall over here was all glass all the way. So I'm just kind of talking about it. And so one of my grandkids said, oh, don't you have pictures of it, Papa? And I said, oh, yeah, let me go get it. So I went in, and I got this photo album. And they're flipping through the photo album. And so they're looking at um, uh, their parents as, like, teenagers, you know, and are preteen. And... um, and they're recognizing different people in the church, different adults in the church, but they're seeing them as like young teenagers, you know, and they're like, look at that, you know. And, and so they're going through the different photographs, and, and I'm 
standing over their shoulder looking. And I've got to tell you that it was depressing to me after a while. And the reason it was depressing to me after a while, as I'm looking at these pictures of people that we've known over the years, I'm looking at a picture of a man who, um, when I was not in the pulpit, he was in the pulpit for me. He was my assistant. And I'm looking at his picture, who was, his picture was scattered throughout the album, and I thought, this man's not even walking with Jesus anymore. This is so tragic. This is so sad. And there would be the baptism pictures, you know, or Rocky Point when we go down to the beach and, and uh, we have our baptisms. And I'm looking at the pictures and I'm thinking, man, these folks, for so many of them, all they did is just get wet. It wasn't like a turning point in their life. It wasn't like I've committed my life to Christ and now out of obedience to the word of God, I'm going to go in and I'm going to, I'm going to identify with the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and I'm going to walk out of that water as a new man or a new woman. Many of them I still see around town. They're not walking with the Lord. And it's just tragic. It's so sad. And some of the young people, you know, and I think, boy, these kids, they grew up in this church. I mean, as far as... Um, we used to have an orphanage. No. Um, but they grew up in this church, and, and, um, and so many of the kids, you know, when they became adults or old enough to make their own decisions, they stopped coming to the church. You say, so what? It's all about church. It's not all about church. It's about salvation. It's about walking with Christ. Time is running out. You say, that's a scare tactic. It's not a scare tactic. It's reality. This is why I encourage you all the time. You know, I... I, I will say, and I say it from time to time, let every man be a liar, you know. God's word is the truth. You know, don't take my word for it. I am the Bible teacher here, but don't take my word for it. Be as the Bereans, search the scriptures to see if these things are so. There's so many critics of so many things, but they don't do their due diligence and study the scriptures so they could say, based upon this, you're wrong, Pastor. They just simply say, you're wrong. Why? Well, that's my opinion. That's my feeling on it. But time is running out. And we want people to walk with the Lord. It's time to get serious about the Lord. Guys, are you paying attention to what's happening in the world? Do you see what's happening right now in Europe? Do you, see, you know, I was thinking of the, the boys, the men, the young men, our students in Israel. You know, they flew into uh, Germany. They had a little layover there before they flew, into, uh, flew over to Israel. And I was thinking this week, Germany has been in the news quite a bit. Have you been paying attention? It's unbelievable what they're paying for fuel. They're concerned about heating their homes this winter because they do not have the fuel, do not have the means to heat their homes. These people aren't living in poverty. Have you been to Germany? I've been to Germany. It's a very affluent country. I'm sure that there are people that struggle financially, but it's not a, a you know, it's not some little village in India that's struggling. It's an affluent place. And all of Europe is dealing with this now. We have all this talk about, you know, the, the, uh, the atmosphere and the earth and save the earth and everything else. And what's Europe doing? Europe is going back to getting coal. 
to warm their homes. You say, what's happening? What's happening? Bible prophecy is happening. In our own country, you know, we, we're not hit as hard as other places around the world. I mean, we're watching the governments, different governments around the world collapsing. Have you paid attention? They're collapsing all around us. The world is unraveling, just as Jesus said it would in the last days. In America, you know, we complain when we go into Walmart or Costco or whatever, and there's a shortage of this, that, or the other that we want to buy, you know. And we went down uh, a few weeks ago, our family vacation. We go to Cannon Beach. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a big deal, but it was interesting to find a try to find a restaurant that would be open because many of the restaurants were not open. They were only open a few days a week because they didn't have employees to work the restaurants. So, you know, and we have that here as well. So there's a lack and you wonder what's going on, what's happening, and things are falling apart. And things are falling apart so that the man of perdition can come upon the scene. It's interesting that it's happening in Europe so severely because it's believed, I believe, that Antichrist will come out of Europe. He will come out of the ten nations that will be the former Roman Empire. He'll come out of Europe. And he will be the man with the answers. And he'll have the answers for a time. And he'll bring supposed peace upon the earth for a time. This is why you need to know the word of God. Because, see, if you're just going by what you're seeing or what you're feeling rather than what the Word of God teaches, you will be deceived. Now, I'm not planning on being here when he shows up. I, I believe that the Scripture teaches that he cannot be revealed until the church is removed. So I believe that the church will be removed. But, but I think about this. I think of the day of the rapture. When will it be? No one knows. But when it happens, it happens. There's no redos. There's no, wait, I changed my mind. It's done. And then here you are. You're either there. I told Amos and Josiah when I dropped them off at the airport on Monday, last Monday, I said, now guys, you might not be flying back. And they both kind of looked at me, you know, well... <laughs> I said, you might not be flying back. We might all be flying up. And they said, yeah. Yeah. It's time to wake up. The Lord has warned us. The Lord has been patient. The Lord doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. If you've not placed your faith in Christ, you need to do so. If you have placed your faith in Christ, then you need to live as a follower of Jesus. What does that look like? You need to pursue him. You know, guys, it's like anything. We get out what we put in. Do you understand what I mean by that? Listen, we don't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. But the person who says, I'm walking with the Lord and I'm, and I'm reaping the benefits of walking with the Lord. I sense his peace. I'm experiencing the fullness of his spirit in my life. I have the conviction of the Lord upon my heart. That person is the person who puts into it. 
he or she is reading the scriptures, they're praying to the Lord, they're seeking to be obedient to the Lord. Part of that obedience is carrying out the Great Commission. I told, you guys come up, please. I told uh, the first service, because this is another thing. I think sometimes we need a Bible check. You know what I mean? Because we don't think biblically. I was watching a a series of little videos done for Oak Harbor churches by someone, and they asked the question, the same question to all the different pastors, "What, what should people expect when they come to your church? And the pastors would say things like, um, I got a real giggle out of this one. When they come here, they'll, they'll find dynamic worship and a sermon that lasts 20 to 25 minutes long. You know, yeah. little sermonettes, you know. We don't do that here. I mean, if you're here, this is an abnormal thing. About this time, I'm starting to wrap up, <laughs> typically, you know. But... Um, but I was thinking of as the pastors were sharing, and I was thinking of myself as a, as a church planter some 34 years ago. I think of my attitude, my thinking. What do you want the church to be? Almost as if I have the right to model the church and to say, this is what I want the church to be. And there's this misnomer. There's this, this strange view among many pastors, and that is that a church should be pleasing to non-believers. And where in the world did they get that? Because there's nowhere in the scriptures that tell us that church is for non-believers. The church is the ecclesia, the called out. It's for the believer. And the pastor is not, not to evangelize per se, though we should do the work of an evangelist. The pastor's position, the pastor's job, if you will, ministry, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so when you have churches that are designed to to please unregenerate, unsaved people, and your focus is there, we should not be surprised that the church is suffering because believers aren't equipped to do the work that God has called us to do. Time is running out. Churches are shrinking every day. It's up to us to put our hands to the plow, not to look back, to be faithful to the Lord. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for those that have truly placed their faith in you, Lord Jesus, that you would, by your spirit, move upon our hearts and bring conviction and enthusiasm and a desire for the things that you desire. Pray that you'd give us a desire for your word and a desire to talk about you with non-believers, Lord, because you don't want any to perish and you've called us all to be missionaries to share the gospel with people. And Lord, I pray for those who say, yes, I believe, but there's no fruit. That they would examine themselves to see if they're truly in the faith. And that they would make a change today, Lord. Help us, Lord. None of us have arrived. All of us are frail and mess up all the time, Lord. But we want to we walk in obedience with you. So help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.